Good morning, Northbrook. This morning we'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. I'll be reading from the House Bible. It'll be on page 953. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to go back to the table. There's some back there for you. If you don't happen to have a Bible of your own, you're also welcome to keep one as a gift to you. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about that grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of God. All right, yeah, you can have a seat. Good morning. I am Jake Ledette, and it is a joy to be uh, with you this morning. I just love this opportunity to get to open God's Word and uh, dwell upon it together and see what He has for us. And uh, there's, as you've heard a few times now, a lot in uh, this passage that we get to look at. And uh, obviously, the the tagline of this series that we just started last week, so if you're new with us, we're just uh, two weeks in here, Living Hope in Fiery Trials. This is the passage we kind of get that from. Uh, the idea of living hope that Peter is calling us to. Um, and, and one of the things that I think is, um, just as we embark on this passage today, as we consider what the Lord has for us, even over these next few moments, uh, one of the things that as I, as a pastor who walk with you, I live my own life, and I've been a pastor for many years now, um, just realize that many of us are, are prone to the opposite of this living hope. Uh, many of us are prone to what you could call lots of things, but what we'll call today is just despair. Uh, that, that Peter is calling us to, in the midst of the trials and circumstances and realities of our life uh, that cause heartache, that cause struggle, uh, it's not probably hard for any of us to imagine how those same things, at the very least, tempt us, uh, if not us give in fully and completely to despair uh, because of the things we faced um, and that's what we're going to be seeing from uh, Peter today. I want to talk to you real quick about someone who I know that runs to despair really quickly. It's one of you. I'm just sorry. It's not one of you. Sorry. Um, it's actually uh, my son, Nate. And I did ask for permission to share this uh, like 
10 minutes ago. I was like, oh, I forgot to ask Nate. We've made a rule that most of the time I'm supposed to ask unless I just think of it in the moment and then it's their fault that they did whatever it was. Um, but uh, uh, so Nate, uh, this is a common experience uh, for him is uh, just this last week, or I think it was actually just yesterday, um, Lily was uh, playing on the iPad and some learning game. Don't worry, we're really good parents, just learning games. Uh, and, uh, and you put these tiles in, in this pattern to, to make it fit, and, and Nate was going to get to go next. And he, he accidentally had put on, like, the level hard, and so I was just coming over to help Lily get it figured out so he could go next. And he was like, Dad, you're not going to be able to figure it out. He was like, I, and I was like, dude, just chill. I'll, I'll get this, and then, then, you know, then it could be your turn. And then this is what happens with Nate. You know, so some kids, you know, kids are all different. Some kids like fake a fit in this moment and they're like struggling and they just, you know, they're just upset. But Nate's fit is, he comes by it honestly. Like there's real tears, there's a real genuine despair that he's entering into because his turn, this thing he loves, this thing he's longing for is being taken from him. And kind of different than some of our other kids, it's like, I mean, it's still not good, obviously, but it's very genuine. Like, he's not, he's not just conjuring it up. He, he is really upset and afraid that he's going to lose this reality. And so, um, and here's the thing. He was right. I could not figure it out. Um, and uh, I, I mean, given some more time, I may have been able to, but I was busy. Um, but I couldn't figure it out. And so when I gave him some time in his bed to kind of cool down, and then I called him, called him back, and I was like, hey, buddy. Look, I was like, you know, I know uh, it was like, one, you're right. But I was like, uh, you know, you can say the right thing in a wrong way and you're still wrong. Like you, you were right, but how you navigated this, how you responded to me, how you went about this moment was not right. And, you know, fortunately that moment he agreed um, he's, and he could see that. And, you know, that's multiply, multiply that by a million and that's parenting is those moments seeming like they have no effect whatsoever. And you just do them a million times and you see what happens. Um, and uh, the... Um, but that, that is, again, that, that one of the, here's one of the reasons I tell stories about kids sometimes, because it allows us to see things in a little bit more of a lighthearted way, uh, maybe even laugh about it a little bit. But what he is doing is an incredibly serious thing. And it's something that, again, it shouldn't be hard for us to make the connection to the very thing that we do. Um, and, and what we do is perhaps even justified a little bit more because life's gotten more complex. Life's gotten more weighty. There's a lot more on the line than just this game and this next turn. Um, and, and then we can be led to despair in the very same way uh, that my little boy uh, was. And so we need uh, this message of First Peter and, and see what he has for us. Um, we all face despair, albeit for different reasons and obviously in different ways. Um, but what Peter is going to give us a, a look at here is kind of the behind-the-scenes look of a living hope. So we just sang about living hope. We've read about living hope. You've heard about hope. But Peter's going to kind of peel the curtain back and say, okay, when you see someone walking around, they're not just faking it. They're not just being, you know, having a good self-esteem or anything like that. You're seeing someone express genuine biblical living hope. Peter's saying, hey, this is actually what's going on here. And verses 3 through 12, this is the substance uh, of that living hope. And we'll see, uh, there's really two points, just two points. Uh, don't worry, there's a lot in those two points. I won't, I won't uh, cut you short. <laughs> I'm, I know you all are worried about that. Um, but living hope, it rejoices in Jesus, and then living hope 
grieves in Jesus. And so that's what we'll see uh, from 1 Peter here. That when we go around and we see people exercising and walking in this true living hope, we're seeing someone that is rejoicing in Jesus and that is also grieving uh, in Jesus. Look at uh, verse 6 there. This is those first four words. It says, in this you rejoice. Um, and, and what this is in this passage, it's kind of a hinge statement in the passage. Uh, Peter is saying, everything I just mentioned are the things you are rejoicing in. And again, he's writing to the Christians in Asia Minor, spread out through the churches in that region. And he's not saying, hey, do this. He's not saying, I hope this for you. He's actually saying, hey, you're doing this. this you are rejoicing in this. It's not an exhortation. It's an observation. And he's like, man, y'all are rejoicing in uh, these realities. And so he's encouraging them uh, in that way. And, and so obviously the question is, what are they rejoicing in? What do they have to rejoice in? And then what do, do we have to rejoice in? Because what he's encouraging them and observing in them, to some of us, it might be an exhortation. It might be a, hey, you need to rejoice in these things. And then some of us, obviously, it's uh, an observation about, man, I see this happening uh, in your life. And, man, there is just a mountain of things uh, to rejoice in. Uh, Christian, just listen to the substance of your living hope in Jesus. Non-Christian, hear an invitation to rejoice uh, in this kind of hope. And you see it there in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, So Paul just or Peter, you know, uh, Paul, I feel like, you know, wrote most of the Bible, so I'll, I'll do that a lot throughout this series, and we'll just roll with it. But Peter is just praising the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we're not going to be able to talk about all of this, but even if we just consider that the reality that we have been uh, uh, born to this living hope because according to God's great mercy. That Christianity, that life in Christ has flown out of the reality that we have a God who is merciful. This is Christianity 101, and this is Christianity 1 million and 1. It's a thing that we just never get over. It's a thing that we need to learn anew and anew and anew in the midst of our life. This even phrase, we see it in one of the kind of the you know, uh, more monumentous passages about God's great mercy uh, when David, he had sinned with Bathsheba and he was repenting in Psalm 51. It says this in Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God. And then David makes this appeal. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And what we see in Peter is Peter is saying, man, you have seen your need for this mercy. Just like David, his need for this mercy is undeniable. Now, I'm not going to deny that there might be people in here that think they aren't in need of mercy. That's a, that's a common kind of uh, thought in our days. Like, man, I'm kind of fine. I do the best I can. I don't, you know, I don't do bad. Or even if I do bad, I try to do a lot more good uh, than bad. And here's what Jesus would say. He would say, he didn't come for you. He didn't. He says, I come for those that are sick. I haven't come for the healthy. I've come for those that are sick. Now, obviously, what Jesus is meaning is we're all sick. Just some of us walk around as if we are healthy. And as long as we're walking around in that way, We're never 
going to see our need for this abundant mercy. Um, and then obviously any of us that are in Christ have said, yes, I'm in need of every bit of that, that I have done and I do shameful things. Um, and, and there is no hope. That's what David's saying. He's like, I can't, I can't even ask for forgiveness if you're not a God that's going to be merciful. There's nothing, I can't plead my case. I can't say I've done more good than I've done bad. David definitely can't say that. Um, I just, God, you, if you're not merciful, I have, I have no hope. And again, that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I'm come for those people. That's why, so, so we should never be afraid to admit we're sinners because that's the only people Jesus came for are sinners. Um, and, and that's the reality. That he, he, we've been caused uh, to be born again to this living hope only because we have a God who has this abundant, great mercy. Um, and so living hope rejoices that God sees the things that we've done, the shameful things, and he has had mercy, and it's a mercy that can never be exhausted. That is living hope. And then we see that it causes something. It causes us to be uh, born again. And I think this born again idea, uh, maybe you haven't run into this. I feel like this is often a, uh, a caricature of Christianity. Like if someone's using a pejorative statement, a negative statement to characterize Christians, like, oh, those are those born again folks. It's like in the first century when the title Christian was uh, started to use. It was uh, making fun of the little Christ, the, the Christians. And they were using and make fun of Christians. I feel like born again, maybe sometimes, uh, is that reality used in our culture today? Like, oh, those are those weird, uh, born-again kind of people. Um, and we need to see the, the, the beauty, the joy, the fruit of uh, this phrase because it is, uh, it, it, again, it, it captures both the need and the response. Just that one phrase, born again. If we need to be born again, then, man, which one of us has, has that figured out? Like, okay, I'm going to be born again right now. Uh, no, we, if, we, if we need to be born again, then we need someone to do that work in us. And that's why it says God does this work. Uh, it says this in John 3, 1 through 8. We won't go into a lot of it, but this is where we see Jesus talk about being born again. So helpful. It says, now there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus cuts to the chase often. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Um, and so as we see uh, this, this being born again take shape in the life of the Christians here in Asia Minor, um, as we see Jesus talk about this, we, we realize that this isn't a, a term used to mock faith. This isn't a term used to mock Christianity. This is a spiritual reality that needs to happen to, in, in any person. That's been what he means by being born of the water and of the Spirit. That you've been born, and now you need to be reborn. Uh, there, there's no one that's entered into this world that isn't in this need. And this is the substance uh, of this living hope uh, that Peter talks about. Um, and he talks about this new life as this inheritance 
uh, look at verse 4, which says where we are to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And again, even I think as we think about inheritance, there's this idea that it's just kind of a Christian term and we're going to get to have this thing. But if we think about it like as in, like even as inheritance works, so maybe you're in a family where that's like a normal thing. I don't know of anybody in my immediate family that's ever received or thought about or is considering leaving an inheritance. Um, and so to me, it's like belongs in movies. It's like, man, that, that's like winning the lottery. I, don't, I just don't, it's not, I'm not familiar. Praise God if you are. I'm, I'm thankful for that uh, in your life. Uh, but, but, this, but if I were to receive an inheritance, it would feel like that. Like, oh my goodness, this inheritance, this, you know, obviously usually money, whatever, some kind of something that I had nothing to do with has now been given to me. That sounds glorious. I will sign up for that. Um, and, and that's what Peter is uh, comparing uh, the reality of this uh, living hope that we have, the salvation uh, that we have. It's, it's this inheritance. And then, but if you see even just the differences, although I would love any inheritance I could get, and by God's grace, we do hope to leave our kids an inheritance, but anything we, we leave them, it, it is the opposite of this inheritance that Peter speaks of. Anything we leave is not lasting, it's fading, it can easily perish. Um, I, I just even think about if we were to leave our kids our house, like we've been in our house for like nine years, which is seemingly the time when everything breaks. Um, and so that's like the, the reality that we could leave them something, but it's something that's just, you know, maybe it's a gift, maybe it's a headache, I'm not sure. Uh, but that's the kind of inheritance that we're able to leave. But Peter speaks of an incredibly different kind of inheritance. Um, we, we live in a fallen world, like we can't even... Like these words, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. There's nothing we can look at or see or touch that these are true of. Like they may be close, they may be close, but, but everything needs to be cleaned, needs to be fixed, needs to be restored. Um, they're all perishable and defiled and fading. Uh, but this, this inheritance that we have is, is none of these things. It's, it's eternal, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. And there's a reality that we experience aspects of this inheritance now in this moment, but what Peter is saying is that there is a fullness that you cannot imagine. Like, like part of this living hope is Peter is constantly getting us to, to consider and think about uh, the future that awaits us, that we might see our present in uh, the right way. That we might see this inheritance that awaits us in its fullness, that we would get to enjoy, get to step into, get to live in fully and completely. That that reality should impact how we face today. But often what we do, again, is that we want that now. Like, why is this life so perishing? Why does everything fade so much? Why does everything break? And the scriptures say again and again, that is life. That is the life we have in the here and now. And as we'll see, there's joy to be had there. There's hope to be had there. But we should never deny or never be surprised uh, when we encounter those very things. Whether it's in our life, our own struggles with sin, whether it's in the stuff that we own that continues to fall apart, whether it's in the fact that we always feel like we're kind of in this always need kind of situation, um, Peter is pointing us to that reality, but that that reality is meant uh, to be met um, in eternity, uh, not right now. 
And then obviously we, we get to see that this is, that's what he means by kept in heaven for you. There are clear benefits that we enjoy to our salvation now, but there is the fullness uh, that is awaiting for us. And then this is another thing we get to rejoice in. Who by God's power, look in verse 5, are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time again. He's continually pointing us to the, the fruition and the culmination of the faith that we have. But, but even here, we get to see that we are protected by God's power. That, that in our faith, in our struggle, in the, the highs and lows of life. And again, this is one of the things I get to see again and again as a pastor. As I talk with brothers and sisters about things that have happened, things that have done, things that have been done to them, just the real grievous struggles of life. And at times, I mean, you know this, you're in community, you have friends, you, you see faith hanging on by a thread. You see something barely there. But then, by God's grace, often, time and time again, I get to see that faith rekindled. And, and here in that moment, what I get to see is, God, you, you kept them. God, God, here you did, you protected them again. You protected your children. God, it's your power that does this work. It's not our power. It's not my power. God, you are the one that protects. And we get to rejoice in that, and we should rejoice in that. And I, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that we all also know people that have continued down that road uh, and abandoned their faith, that, that we've seen people encounter really heavy things. We've seen people count the struggles, even if it's just an intellectual heavy thing, uh, a real heavy thing that's happened and experienced in their life. We've seen people encounter those things and that lead to them abandoning and walking away from their faith. And, and here we have that uh, mysterious interplay between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And, and here's the thing we can always know about those realities is that to any one of those people, there is an invitation to come back and put their faith in this living hope. That, that that always goes out. That's never cut off as long as there's breath in their lungs. That there's this call and this invitation that, okay, you, you, this has happened, but, but you, still, you can still come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, but for those of us that do possess this hope, we rejoice not in our own strength, but in God's infinite power protecting us. He's, he's so gracious to do that. And so look back in verse 6. Again, that, that little phrase, in this you rejoice. Isn't this just a small list of things? Aren't these things that are worthy to rejoice in? So again, if you think of Peter saying that about you, would he say, oh, look, brother, look, sister, in these things, I see you are rejoicing in these things. Or, or would he look at our lives and, and, and realize and see how often we're rejoicing in perishable things? Perishable things that are often gifts from God that we should be thankful for. We don't degrade them. We don't, they're not all bad. They're, God gives us uh, many gifts in this life. Uh, but, but how is our heart affected when we receive those perishable gifts versus the eternal spiritual reality of what, of what Peter is talking about here, the living hope? 
Um, where, where do we find uh, most of our rejoicing? And, and so I would just encourage us a little practical step here is that we need to figure out ways that we can build into our lives moments where we're rejoicing in this living hope, in this imperishable living hope that Peter is calling us to, he's observing in these Christians and, and figure out ways to do that. And, and they're, they're the things that Christians have been called to for forever, that, that we actually, in our prayers, um, we need to be thankful for what God has done in our life. This is what we talked about when we went through the Sermon on the Mount and the, the Lord's Prayer, that a significant portion of our prayer, when we're, like if we're just praying for perishable things, the needs of our life, which again, give us this day our daily bread, we should pray for, but when that's our only thing we're praying for, our, our prayers have gotten off, aren't they? Aren't our prayers even revealing that we're hoping more in these perishable things than in this imperishable salvation that God has given us? And so consider your prayers and think about God, just praising God and elaborating on what he's uh, done for you spiritually and thanking God uh, for those realities. I think time in community where you can speak of your salvation. So often, we're in, even in Christian community, like, again, I say this a lot, but some of the times we're, we struggle to talk about our faith with non-Christians is because, again, we don't even really talk about our faith really well with Christians. Uh, and talk about the salvation that we have. Talk about First Peter here and what it means to our life or what it, we're struggling to see it mean uh, in our life and practice uh, believing and enjoying and encouraging one another in uh, this living hope that, that we have in our salvation and all that Jesus has done for us. And then lastly, uh, just reading the scriptures. I heard if you're not familiar with her, Jen Wilkin, really helpful Bible teacher. I, heard, I was listening to a podcast with her this last week, and she said something so helpful about reading the scriptures, and it was so exposing. And uh, it was she talked about how often in the church and in the Christian life, the predominant view of reading the scripture is I'm going to try to wake up in the morning, I'm going to read the scripture, I'm going to get something out of it. It's going to make me feel better about my day, and then I'm going to go on about my day, and then uh, my days will typically be better when I do that and worse when I don't do that. And we have even, even all kinds of Christian resources that kind of uh, look at the Bible towards those ends as opposed to, and this is what she said would be a healthier view, is that we go to the scriptures for the cumulative effect, the long-term goal of reading it again and again and seeking God in it over and over again and just the long-term hope and goal and desire for us for that to bear fruit in our life. We're lying if we say every time we go to the scriptures, we're encouraged. Um, and it's bad to lie, so stop doing that. Um, we're, like, we go to the scriptures and we have no idea what we just read. We go to the scriptures and we have an idea what we just read, but we're so tired or we're so, our mind's so distracted that it has no effect on us whatsoever. But again, similar to parenting, similar to how you study almost anything, and I'll, I'll make a difference here in a second, but how you learn in school, how you read a hard book, how you learn chemistry, how you learn anything is really hard, really slow over a long period of time. Now, obviously, the difference is the Bible is literally supernatural. The Holy Spirit is working in and through it uh, to, to open our eyes to the beauty of who God is. But if we want to rejoice in this living hope, it's not that we read you know, a devotional just for a minute to feel better uh, about our day. It's that we give our lives over to under, understanding what God has told us in the scriptures. Uh, and we, don't, we do it just desiring to know and to grow and to wrestle and to continue to seek him uh, through the scriptures. And again, obviously, there's times where we read the scriptures and we do get incredible life from it. Praise God uh, for that. But that's not, that's, 
if we're going to the Bible for that, that's based on instant gratification. That's the, that's the message of our culture. That's not the message of the scriptures. The message of scriptures is anything that lasts, anything that's worth is, is, it takes a long time and a lot of effort over a long period of time. And so we get to go to the scriptures for that. I was just talking to someone about Rosaria Butterfield earlier. She's a, a gal that came to faith. She used to be, uh, you know, a professor at a, a school in the Northwest on, on women's rights. She was uh, very active in the LGBTQ community. Um, and then through hospitality, she, she came to faith. Uh, this pastor welcomed him into their home, and she ended up becoming a Christian. And she's written many books right now. If, if you're not familiar with her, they're all great. Uh, but one of the things she said is that before she became a Christian, she had read the Bible through five times. Um, and part of that was because part of her studies and her professorship was reading the Bible to disprove it. And then she read the Bible and she fell in love with this Jesus that the Bible speaks of. Um, but again, that wasn't a flippant devotional. Again, devotionals are great, uh, but, but we've got to read the scriptures uh, to understand the totality of what they're saying about who our God is and what he has done for us. And this is one of the ways we can ground our lives and our thoughts in this living hope and not look for this like instant gratification kind of living hope. So again, a few ways to just look to build opportunities into your life to rejoice uh, in uh, Jesus in this way praying, being in community, and reading the scriptures. And this will equip, equip us for what Peter's going to talk about in verses 6 and 7. Look at that. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. And so this is that, that second point, that living hope grieves in Jesus. Look, look, Peter doesn't deny grief. He doesn't say it's wrong. He, he acknowledges it. He says, when you have been grieved by various trials, like the grief is real, the grief is genuine, the grief is right. Like there are very grievous things that happen in this life that are worthy of grief. Um, and we do all kinds of different things here. Often we uh, can even exalt that grief, which Peter will uh, correct, but we can also dismiss that grief, the, the grievous things that many of us are either personally or others know many people that have dismissed grief for so long, it starts to show up in their life in uncontrollable ways. Uh, that, that's much of, uh, I'm not saying mental health is that easy. Mental health is really complex. Uh, but one of the ways we struggle with different things is because we don't grieve. Uh, we don't grieve, and then that grief, or we, we can't help it. it. Our body starts to show we are grieving, uh, whether we want to acknowledge it or whether we want to continue to deny it. And obviously, the, the opposite of living hope, grieving in Jesus, um, is just despair. Despair can happen over long uh, moments and lead to depression. I mean, despair leads to the most tragic of realities. Uh, we all know that. And despair can be light and, and momentary, uh, but this is the juxtaposition, uh, living hope or despair. And despair just puts uh, our hopes in the changes of circumstance. This is often why we're despairing, because our circumstances are not changing. And again, I just want to acknowledge, Peter often says that's grievous. That, that's something to be sad about. It's not something to dismiss, not something to deny, it is grievous. Uh, despair turns inward. 
the most hard, the, one of the hardest things for people that are really struggling in despair is to talk to people about it. Because the most comfortable place they feel is internal and inward and by themselves in their despair. And that's where, that's what despair uh, leads to. And again, despair, as we see from Nate's little life, is often saying the right things uh, in a wrong way. It turns our face away from God and towards our trials. And so in despair, we're often saying true things. This is really going on. This is really sad. This is uh, really hard. Uh, But uh, a lot of times, because our face is turned away from God in it, we're saying those things uh, in a wrong way. Peter and the scriptures would not encourage us to deny the realities of what's going on in our life. Um, And I think even as we, one of the phrases I want to even just consider um, is that uh, if necessary. I think it's because what happens with us is we get fixated on where does this, where does this suffering come from? Why is this suffering present in our life? And brothers and sisters, with most questions, that's just never going to be answered. With, with most situations in our life, those questions will go unanswered. And the unansweredness of those questions um, is often uh, what leads to a lot of turmoil. And when we start to un- exalt the unansweredness of those questions, that's when, again, we start to do that. And then we see people leave the faith because, hey, if I'm going to believe in God, I've got to know this answer And God just never promised you or me that answer. He just hasn't. Um, What he has promised you and me is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to that question. That that Jesus entered into your suffering and to my suffering to heal, to redeem, to comfort, to eventually secure us a life free from suffering. Um, And he's there and he is with us, but, but we just don't know where those struggles come from. And I think even that phrase, if necessary, um, and, and if you look at many translations, it will actually say, since necessary. It's this uh, Greek uh, phrase, e-dion, um, which uh, can be translated either way. And I think even if it says, if necessary here, the idea of the totality of scriptures is not like God's just kind of you know, kind of figuring out what is or isn't necessary. It's just that for the life of the Christian, suffering is a reality. It's more, I think, akin to James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So it's that idea that, that suffering and trials are a part of the Christian life. It's not, it's not if, it is when. Um, but they, they are doing something. And so I think, again, just if we were going to take a, a hint from, from Peter saying grief, that we need to acknowledge grief, I think we need to grow in our ability to acknowledge grief and the various trials in uh, our life. And I think there's, we've talked about them a lot, but I'm just always going to say them because I think as a church and as a culture, we're really bad at them. Two ways that we can acknowledge grief in our life in a God-honoring holy way is one is lament, and the second is hope. That's what, that's what Peter is pointing us to in this passage. And lament is taking those true realities, those things that we're saying, hey, Peter's not denying. There's grievous things that are going on in your life that have happened in your life. Lament is taking those honest things to God. It's saying, God, this is what's going on. And it's taking a couple things. It's taking, God, this happened. God, this is how I feel about what happened. This is how I feel about what is happening. When I'm talking to brothers or sisters about suffering, just the simple question, have you talked to God about that? Have you told God what happened? Have you told God about how you feel about what happened? Uh, Probably the majority of the time, the answer is no. 
Um, and we, we believe lies. Again, despair wants us to go in this hole. Despair wants us to not uh, acknowledge God in the midst of them. Um, and, and we believe lies that kind of continue to keep us sucked into uh, those hard places. Uh, when we, God has called us, I mean, just you can't get around this if you just read the Psalms. Again and again and again, we see, and just read the scriptures. There's hardly a page where you don't see suffering experienced or mentioned or talked about. So God's all about acknowledging suffering um, and that we would go to him and honestly say, God, this is what happened. Again, we believe that lie, oh, God, God knows everything, so I don't need to say, but yeah, God also cares about what's affecting you, what's impacting you. He wants you to talk to him about it. And it's not just that. It's not just a factual conversation that many of us would be good at. Like, okay, God, this is, this is what happened. How do you feel about what happened? How do you feel about what's going on? That, that's God longs to, to minister and comfort. It's one of the very re- reasons Jesus came to die, that he could relate to you in those very ways. Uh, and so we don't need to short circuit those by dismissing uh, the things that are grievous uh, in um, our life. And then, and then hope. You know, we just hope, trust in God in the face of despairing circumstances. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves, hey, hope's an option here. Like, we can, we can choose to hope. We can pray for hope. We can acknowledge hope isn't present and ask God to make it present. Sometimes, again, we, when we exalt the trials in our life that, again, we don't need to dismiss, but when we exalt them, we forget, oh, there's, there's other news here. There's more than this that's going on in the universe, And not in an unhealthy perspective kind of way, but I can hope in who God is in the face of these things that uh, I'm going to. And that's what Peter's saying, isn't it? He's saying, in this you rejoice. And all these things that have happened to you spiritually, you are rejoicing. Though right now, you're actually facing some pretty significant trials. Saying, praise God for that. Praise God that that is, I see that happening uh, in your life. And then, so the test of genuineness of your faith, it's more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, This is just an incredible reality. And, And Peter is saying that there is an outcome God is desiring as we go through suffering. Like, again, the why of suffering, what's, what's going on? Uh, again, maybe we get some glimpses of answers there. Often we don't have any answer, answers. But God does say, I do desire something for you in this suffering. He says it uh, clearly. This is what verse 7 is all about. He wants uh, genuine grief. There is grief that we see in verse 6. He wants genuine faith. And that results in this glorious thing of praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the crazy thing about that. Because when we hear words like praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, we think those are all due to Jesus, which they are. But what this verse is telling us is that we have a God that's going to look upon our faith, look upon our fighting, look upon our struggling, look upon the annoyances of the day that we're enduring, look upon the the heaviest struggles that we've faced in life. He's going to look upon those and see our fledgling faith through it. And in in the day of Jesus Christ, he's going to honor us. He's going to honor the faith that he gave us in those moments. That is incredible. It's incredible that God would look upon us because as we think about that, anything we get honor for in this life, pride is just mingled into that. Even the best things. But God is going to honor us for uh, these realities because Jesus will already have been revealed. So all pride's melted away, which is something we can't fathom, but it's a reality. And so in that moment, the honor that God is going to give to us is just going to be a joyful, rejoicing, God-glorifying kind of thing. 
Um, and and this, is what, this is what God is working in us, desiring for us, loving to see in us. This is something we can be encouraged by in these moments. That, that we have a God that loves to honor us, loves to see the little fumbling steps we take and say, man, way to go. I see that. I see how hard it is. I see you clinging to me. And, and I, I'm so thankful. And, and there's something eternal uh, of, that we'll get to see uh, in that moment. And that is something to praise God and look forward to. In these trials, we, we find uh, some of our sweetest fellowship with Jesus. A man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief. And I think that's why it's appropriate for such an affectionate passage to follow in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You do not now see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter coming back here to just encourage the people he's writing to. And it isn't these... uh, Trials, it isn't like encouragement, like, hey, these trials are about to be over. Don't worry about it. They're not a big deal. That's not what he's using to encourage. He's saying, man, you love Jesus. I've seen him, and I love him. I've betrayed him, and I love him. He's restored me, and I love him. You haven't even seen him. You've heard of him, and you love him. Uh, And this is what he's encouraging them uh, with. And then in verses 10 through 12, we see just the display of, the glory of this story of redemption that's played out through the ages concerning the salvation, everything Peter's just talked of. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things in which angels long to look. Uh, again, this struggle, this clinging to a living hope, this loving Jesus, though we have not seen him, is the most glorious drama that could unfold in history. It's the story that's been told from the foundation of the world through Moses, through David, through Isaiah, through Habakkuk, along with every other Old Testament author. They were pointing to this hope and longing to see uh, this fulfilled in the Messiah. They didn't see him either. They were longing to see him. We haven't seen him. We love him. And and, and we get to see uh, this unfold. And we're invited into this rich legacy in which we receive this inheritance like anything we can imagine. And so whether this living hope in you, this living hope in in Jesus and and grieving, uh, whether it's just this flicker uh, that you're experiencing right now, maybe it's a a match that it feels like it's about to go out. For others, it may be a bonfire in this moment. Your faith is strong and you're encouraged. Either way, this is the righteous pleasure of the angels to look upon. Like they, they long, that means they're enthralled by this, this story playing out. I, I think about, like, I think there's that category on Netflix, uh, binge-worthy TV. I think y'all watch a lot on Netflix, not me. But, uh, so y'all probably are familiar with that category. And I think about this is what angels, supernatural, eternal beings think is binge-worthy TV. I think of like a couple angels that Jesus is like, you know, told to go prepare some rooms for us. And they're laying a foundation. They're like, man, I just got to watch one more episode here. I kind of see how this is going to play out. I see this person just fighting for faith here. I see this going on. I see this redemption taking place here. That, and, and here's what this thing tells us, because this is real. 
Peter's describing a reality that angels that are perfect and know perfectly that there is this redemption that's taking place in our life is objectively beautiful. It's just a beautiful reality, this work that God is working in us. Uh, that's, that's what we see, that these perfect beings are, are desiring to see more and more of it. They, they can't get enough of it. And so, brothers and sisters, may it never get ordinary to us. When it becomes ordinary to us, can we confess that? And God, you're doing such a work in here that I should never, uh, this should never feel boring to me. This is, my, my circumstances should never feel like they're more important than this thing because this thing that you're doing is the most glorious thing uh, from the beginning of the foundations of the world. Like the angels could look at the stars. They could look at the galaxy. They could see uh, the etern- eternality of it. But they long to look upon the redemption that's taken place in the lives of people like you and me because it's a beautiful work. And we need to um, ask God to continue to give us the view uh, that they have. The reality that Christ has died for us, Christ has risen for us, that we can be born again to this living hope. Let me pray for us towards this end. Father, I just want to take a moment just to acknowledge the reality of grief that could be in our life. The grief of loss, loss of someone we've loved, the loss of a job, just loss in our life. I think the grief of unknown, just confusing, hard situations, whether they be uh, relational or financial, uh, that we just are not sure what to do, and, and it feels really hard. I think about the waiting. It seems like we're always in a season of waiting for something, but some of us are in a a really pronounced, very long season of that. These are things to grieve. And God, I just want to acknowledge just the annoying aspects of the fall that uh, come into our lives daily. Sickness, relational struggles, marital struggles, parenting struggles. Um, God, even these are something that you want us to acknowledge before you to have fellowship with Jesus in, that we might lay hold of this living hope. And so, Spirit, would you just help us as a church not to run away from these things, not to go inward and despair with these things? Would you help us turn outward and upward to you and to each other, that we could uh, encourage each other in all that you've done for us, that we can grieve with each other, that we can cry with each other, that we can sit in silence with one another? just acknowledging the pain of this fallen world that we live in. And thank you, God, that in those kinds of things, you are producing an endurance in us, character in us, hope in us, and hope that doesn't put us to shame because your love has been poured into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. What a, what a truth that we rejoice in. Help us rejoice all the more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.